everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 113. This is a podcast all about board games, card games, role-playing games, dice games, things like that, and beer, of course. My name is Delton, I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. We also talk about tabletop games. We, oh, did I miss, leave out tabletop games? I think so. I felt like I left something out. And I just, it, I don't know. It's that. I think normally you say five things. And this time you said four. And I'm fairly certain it was tabletop that you missed. Either way, you know what we do if you're listening. And if you don't know what we do, it's about some sort of tabletop game. Generally, board games is 99% of it. And my name is Haley and this is Delton. And sometimes we know what we're talking about. Not very often. <laughs> <laughs> Not very often. We're going to go ahead and start out the episode with a beer because I think we need it. A, my, mou- <laughs> my mouth is dry. And uh, B, uh, just why not? Because we can't speak any less coherent of sentences today. That's true. This beer today is from Anthem Brewing Co., which is from here in Oklahoma City. This is their Ebb and Flow Lager. It is a rice lager at 5% alcohol by volume. It says Ebb and Flow Rice Lager is focused on subtlety, nuance, and balance. Toasted rice is combined with our base malts. Uh, Sorry, the condensation. I can't read. Uh, after which lotus, sultana, and citra hops are added for a tropical fruity quality. Available on draft at Sushi Neko and Musashi's. So this is made uh, for Sushi Neko and Musashi's. Sushi Neko is arguably the best sushi place in Oklahoma City. And Musashi's is the best hibachi grill I've ever been to in my life. And Neko means cat. And so it's a giant sushi cat. Yes. They are owned by the same company or same owners. Um, if you like, if you live or come to the Oklahoma City area and you love a good hibachi grill, Musashi's really is the place to go. And if you like high-end sushi, I'm not going to say high-end, high-quality sushi. For Oklahoma. For Oklahoma. I think Sushi Neko has everybody else beat on the quality of their sushi. I think we're almost like the furthest away from an ocean you can get because they're right in the middle of the country. And so it's the best place to get sushi uh, based on the furthest away from the coast ratio. Like, if you're on yeah. the coast, this is probably not good sushi. But if you're in Oklahoma County, it's pretty darn good sushi. Yeah, I wonder how they bring it all in. Like, I wish I knew more of the ins and outs of uh, all their stuff, but I really have no idea. Now that I'm a vegan, I wouldn't mind knowing. I think if I were a- eating fish, I probably wouldn't want to know how long it took my fish to be transported. That's the thing, too, is I haven't been to either one of these places in a long time because as a vegan, you're so limited in options that it's just it's not worth it to go to a hibachi grill. I'm waiting on somebody somewhere, and I'm sure there is, to open an all-vegan hibachi grill because you can do awesome stuff with vegetables if you know what you're doing. It's just that I think that Oklahoma's not the market for that. However, I know there are cities elsewhere in the world that are the market for that. Well, because we went to an all-vegan sushi place in uh, Montreal. We did. Uh, Sushi Momo? Sushi Momo. Sushi Momo. Momo means peach, right? I think so. Because Momo Fuku is peach something. I think that's right. And... Momo is corgi butt, so says Jin Wen. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> corgi butts look like peaches. Yeah, little fluffy things. Little fluffy things. That's funny. So yes, this beer uh, from Anthem, it's got the kind of standard beer coloration, maybe a little bit more amber. You can see through it very well. You can see your fingers on the other side of the glass really clearly. Uh, it's got a light carbonation. Before we take a drink, I do wonder how this is going to be similar and or different than the Lively Works and uh, Super Cal Nguyen collaboration yes because they have the reindeer beer yes uh, which is uh, a collaboration between lively beer works and super cow Nguyen. reindeer is a rice brand they do rice and rice based noodles and yeah. they did a collaboration which we reviewed back in november uh lively reindeer episode 103 yep 
And that one was very light. You could also taste a lot of the jasmine, but this one's more of a toasted rice. Yes, it's a toasted rice. But also Oklahoma collaboration. So one, two, three, let us see. Well, I mean, I guess Lively is also, that's the thing. I wonder what the rice is. We don't know like the brand. They specifically mm. used that rice that has the reindeer logo. But anyway, mm. it smells like a light beer. It smells almost like a Coors. Yeah, uh, I've said this before on the show, but anytime you drink like local domestics, so, uh, you know, Bud Light, uh, Coors, Michelob, all that stuff, Coors uses a lot of rice in their grain bill when they make their beer. So they have a distinct different taste than a lot of the other beers because of that. So anytime you drink a beer that's heavy on rice, it's going to be kind of similar taste to what you've had if you've drank a Coors. And if you ever want to know about the history of Coors, uh, The Dollop, which is an American history podcast with two improv guys that annoy the hell out of Delton. Uh, they have a whole episode on the history of Coors beer and the Coors and how he came to America and built his company and all that jazz. So check it out if you're bored or if you're a history nerd like me. This is really good. It's very light, but with the addition of the hops they've added, it brings the the aroma up wow. and it brings some of that flavor up to where it doesn't taste too thin. It doesn't taste too a basic. It's got yeah. a little more to it, a little more roundedness about it. I really like this. This tastes extremely good. I like, like you said, it really rounds it out. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like I love the the lively reindeer beer, which I know that one wasn't your most favorite. Like I like that one because it's a light sipper. It's easy. I feel like you can just kind of drink that one all day. This one is one that I feel like you would sit and you really you would pair food with it, but this is going to be the primary taste you want to sit and drink. Like I feel like the reindeer beer one would be good to pair with something. Yeah, but this one I just want to. This sit one's and drink a, this. it's a little more flavorful, probably yeah. be, because, as you said, the toasted rice versus however they did it, which I'm sure they probably did it toasted the other way. I don't know, but toasted rice and then uh, those hop additions, I think, are definitely definitely good. So this is very good. So that is the ebb and flow from Anthem Brewing Co. So what have we been up to lately, Haley? I <laughs> trying to think. I water colored some chickens. We finally watched Queen's Gambit. I rode my skateboard. Uh, I've been playing literally every minute of my day right now has been dedicated to Bloodborne. We've basically been living like retirees. We have. I, I wanted to buy Elden Ring, but didn't want to drop $60 on it. And so Bloodborne was on sale for 10 And Haley said, well, why don't you just get that and play it since you're wanting to? And then that way you can go through it, make sure you still want to play this sort of game whenever I decide to get Elden Ring once they've smoothed over the PC issues. Uh, so I've been playing uh, Bloodborne on my PS4 and absolutely adoring it. It's after I watched the Jacksepticeye playthrough on YouTube that I went, oh, I like this game. And uh, so I've been playing it, having a lot of fun. And then I also finally bought um, Horizon Zero Dawn on my PC. That way I could play it at 60 frames and haven't played a ton of it. But what I have played, I absolutely love. And I really want to jump in and dive into that as well and prep for later, hopefully in the future, getting a PS5 and Horizon Forbidden West. And that kind of stuff. That's what I've been doing. I also went to Elk City. I don't think I've talked about that because we recorded before I went to Elk City, right? Correct. So I went to Elk City, America, stayed at my parents' empty house, hung out with my sister, took my niece to the uh, Route 66 Museum in Elk City, America, got my picture taken in front of the world's largest Route 66 sign, which was amazing. And uh, fairly certain my little niece saw a ghost, but, you know, that's fine. That's what kids do. Should I tell the story? Go for it. So. The Elk City Route 66 Museum it is in this giant house in Elk City. 
um, off of Third Street and Route 66, of course. Uh, but the the giant house that was previously owned by the Herring family, which was one of the founders of Elk City or whatever, first families, whatever. But in the 60s, it was purchased and turned into a mortuary. And then later Elk City bought it and converted it to a museum. So it has like the rodeo section in there. It has Susan Powell, 1980-whatever, who was Miss America, has her section in there. But we are in the uh, bottom floor of the museum. We're looking at this mannequin. And my niece, she's five, and she's like looking at something. And then she looks at the mannequin in front of me, and she looks up to me and says, Hey, hey, hey. I say, yes, baby. She says, is that the lady that killed that boy over there? And I had to be like Michael Scott. I just had to put on a brave face. And my sister looked at me. She says, don't acknowledge it. Let's just go upstairs. And I said, okay. I said, I don't know, baby. And we just went upstairs. I did not ask any follow-up questions because I did not want to know. Usually I feed a child's curiosity. You ask me a question, I'm going to try my best to answer it or Google it. Not today, Satan. <laughs> it's, I don't know why kids are that way. They just see weird stuff. I don't know what boy she was talking about. I did not see a boy. We were the only people in the museum that day. That's fine. Everything's fine. At least I hope. I think. I thought. <laughs> you hope you think you thought. <laughs> it's fine. But yeah, so then we went and hung out with my grandma and grandpa, and I rode with my grandpa to go check cattle. And he he has this tendency to just like accept animals that wander onto his property, and they are his now. And uh, among all this cattle, he has one chicken. We don't know where the chicken came from. His neighbors don't have chickens. And, you know, you're in the country, so there's, like, acres and acres and acres between you. But he has a chicken that lives among his cows. And so he has a chicken, probably about uh, 30 head of cow- cattle and a bunch of cats. And we just sat outside, drank cores, and talked about the time Jimmy Carter came to Elk City. So it was a good weekend. So, again, like I said, I've been living like a retiree the last two weeks. Just watercoloring, sitting on a porch, drinking beer, checking cattle, taking naps. And that's about all. Yeah, that same weekend that you were gone is when Brian came over. Me and him hung out that day. He got here pretty early. Uh, We did a draft of his Magic Cube, uh, tested out a few proxies of the cards that he's ordered just to kind of see how they play and whatnot. Um, So we did that. We got to play. He's never played a Feast for Odin, so I set up and we played a Feast for Odin, which it's been a while for me. Um, But afterward, we got through that. Uh, He showed me Parks, which I think is one we need to pick up. Because it's really, really good. Now I see why everybody likes it so much. Also, great production quality. Uh, so we played that. And I think that, like, I almost feel like that's all that we played. Just because, you know, cube takes a while. You shuffle. We do a special kind of cube. We do our drafts. We play our games. We went and got some food. And then we played another game. And then we played another game. And it's like, we played them. It just takes a while. But it was a good day. It was a good game day. Hanging out, playing games, doing stuff like that. Uh, I think that's really been mostly it since last time. Like I said, video games for me. We watched Queen's Gambit, which was great. Uh, We're still watching Pam and Tommy. And we've been playing some board games. Oh, here's the door. Uh, It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. Yes, Houston, uh, come in now. Uh, We have the algae down and... uh, We've got the cracks of the surface venting into the atmosphere to increase our heat production. Uh, we have a few small trees growing, but uh, it seems that um, yeah, Captain uh, Captain Jeffries is trying to take over the city and make sure his city is next to our 
uh, beginnings of a lake, and I'm not uh, I'm not too privy to that now. So I've uh, I, I've set up a city uh, across the river from his. Uh, tensions are starting to break down. He has a nuclear plant on uh, his side of the city. Uh, let's just uh, let's just say that uh, my rovers may be outfitted soon to go on the attack. There you go. <laughs> that was pretty great. I uh, 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 just had to do modifications to make it work out. I tried to get down. Uh, anytime you hear a recording from space or if you ever listen to anybody talking on an airplane, they just got, uh, this is your captain speaking. Uh, today's weather. Uh, <laughs> and they always have that like, uh, so I tried to get that down. But yes, if you can't tell, well, you probably can't, but you've also read the title of this episode. Today we're talking about a special uh, versus episode of the Malthouse Games podcast, we are going to be comparing the original base game of Terraforming Mars and the new smaller quote card game version, Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. Yes. So uh, I think this all started because Brian had bought the Ares Expedition, thinking it was a regular expedition. And so Delton bought the regular expedition, but he wanted to play the regular one before he played the Aries one so he bought the regular one then we played the regular one then we bought the Aries one from Brian then we played the Aries one and here we are okay <laughs> so you keep saying exp- <laughs> expedition way too much um so I explained that perfectly this is why I always explain the games so what <laughs> I'm gonna do in this because it can get very confusing anytime I say terraforming Mars I'm gonna be referencing the original base game Anytime I say Ares Expedition or Ares, that's going to be the game Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, which is the, quote, card game version that you can find at Target. They already knew the difference whenever I explained it. I'm sure they did. So we're going to have Terraforming Mars original, (laughs) and we're going to have Ares Expedition, the newer, smaller version. So this was something that uh, we kind of came up with because Brian, like Haley said, had bought Ares Expedition, and he was under the impression that was just the normal Terraforming Mars. Uh, because, you know, I haven't ever owned Terraforming Mars, so there's nothing to say otherwise. And he got a deal on it. Uh, it wasn't quite a hit for his wife. I don't think she was a fan of it. And so he was like, well, we're probably not going to play this again. I'll let you have uh, have it first if you want. You can buy it from me before I try to sell it on, you know, Facebook Marketplace or whatever. So I said, sure, that sounds great. I'll pick up the normal version sometime. And that way I'll be able to do a comparison episode. It'll be a great podcast episode. Well, Haley for Valentine's Day got me Terraforming Mars. So that way we can do this episode, and that way, too, sometime when Brian comes over, we can play them and do our own little comparison. So this is going to be a strange way, because normally I start talking about the games, and I do all that, and I'm going to have to use my little notebook here to keep track of some things. But first, let me go over the credits for the games. So Terraforming Mars, uh, the game design was Jacob Frixilius. Graphic design was Isaac Frixilius, and the assistant design is Frix Games. Uh, I'm not sure where Frix Games are out of. this version was originally Stronghold Games, but I think Indie Boards and Cards is the one actually uh, publishing and producing them now. Uh, and then Ares Expedition is also Jake- Jacob Frixilius, uh, but the other two on the game design this time is Nick Little and Sidney Engelstein. Uh, they had a developmental consult with Will Sobel. They had graphic design from Bill Brickner, Jason Kingsley, and Isaac Frixilius. Uh, illustrations were Bill Brickner, Garrett Kaida, Neo Mendoza, Andre Steff, Naomi Robinson, and Justine Nortzja. Uh, then they had art direction was Bill Brickner, and editor was Anna Russell. So a lot more people went into the Ares Expedition uh, version, which I find interesting, but I also, as we'll get to, find that to be apparent. 
in terms of graphic design. So to compare the two games, uh, I have a little order here that I want to go through. Uh, so they're both based on the same theme. Both of these games, anything in the terraforming Mars world is exactly that, terraforming Mars. You are corporations that have sent people to Mars and you are trying to make it habitable. That way we can build cities and move people there and start essentially a next planet that we can live on. I feel like that's something everyone's always talked about in sci-fi from the beginning of the understandings of space, you know what I mean, is can we live out there? So a uh, pretty neat theme right off the bat. So there are a few ways that these games are similar, and there's a few ways that these games are different. Uh, we're going to start with the similarities between the games. So in both of these games, 99% of the gameplay is going to be card-driven. It is revolving around cards that you are purchasing to play. Each of them uh, play them a little bit differently. However, uh, both games have a couple different things. They have cards that will modify your uh, income. They have cards that are instant actions, and they have cards that provide effects, and some cards that have actions you may activate when that time comes. Uh, I do think one thing I like about this game is the fact that there's so many cards to work with. Uh, the, the cards really make it interesting. You're doing things like cracking open the, or the surface of the planet to let out some of the you know internal heat. You are uh, putting algae down. You're planting trees. You're doing this. You're doing that. All kinds of interesting little things that kind of are fun to sort of build a bit of a story. And a lot of those things you can't do until you reach other things. So some of the cards you can't technically play, like the trees you can't technically play until oxygen's high enough. Or if oxygen's too high, maybe you can't have some sort of, sort of algae out, things like that. Exactly, and that leads to another similarity, is both of these have an in-game trigger that's identical. The oxygen levels, the temperature, and the oceans on the board must all be maxed out for the game to end. Uh, each of them has a track for oxygen, a track for temperature, and then you put out tiles on a little planet board for uh, the oceans. Now, each of these have a central board. They do differ, but each has a central board that tracks this as well as your uh, uh, TM track, your terraforming uh, rate, I guess TR track, terraforming rating, terraform rating, whatever it's called, TR track around the board. Uh, the TR track, because the scoring in these games is virtually identical, uh, the TR track is any time you bump oxygen, you move the TR track one. If you put down an ocean, you bump it by one. If you up the temperature, you bump it by one. And at the end of the game, that's going to be your base score. So the more that you do to push the game toward the end goal, or the more that you do to uh, basically accomplish those things, you're going to be higher up in points. So that's something you want to focus on during the game. And both of these have that. Um, both of these are very heavy economy because you do have incomes of different types. You can up how much income you get every turn, as well as managing how much you spend every turn. You can sometimes hold it back for the next round, do all kinds of stuff like that. But there is a big economy aspect to, this, to both these games. And then the players also may push the time in these games. If you are uh, building up certain kinds of resources, you can push that uh, thermometer, that uh, the temperature track. You can come in and raise temp, raise temp, raise temp, raise temp, raise temp, and start pushing the game toward the end while also gaining points for that. So that's a lot of the similarities in these games. They have the same goals, the same theme, the same general style of play in terms of the card-driven. They have central boards. Everything like that is going to be the same, uh, roundabout the same experience. Now, there are differences in these games. Uh, one of the big differences, as I kind of touched on uh, when I was going over credits, is uh, the actual design of the cards. I think the design of the cards in Ares Expedition is much better. 
I feel like the original Terraforming Mars has the vibe of a late 90s sci-fi original. It does. It's a lot of stock images, weird photographs. It's not like, I don't hate it. It's not like it's the worst thing. It's kind of fun having that slightly hokey in my brain. Kind of, you know, cheesy sci-fi. It's not uniform either. Like, it's not the same vibe of stock image based on, like, when you're comparing cards. It's not the same style. Some seem no. more drawing, some seem more real life, but all of them seem like I had a thousand dollar budget to make a sci-fi original in 1997 and here you go. Exactly. Some are actual photos. Some are drawings. I think some are bad computer renders, yes. like, you know, really, really uh, low quality things like that. And I mean, not to dig on the artistry, but it doesn't, it, it's not cohesive throughout the game yeah. of the original Terraforming Mars. Um, it doesn't bother me, really. It's kind of fun. But at the same time, after playing Ares Expedition, the Ares Expedition cards all have artwork. It all matches. All the graphic design's the same. It's, it's all pretty. cleaned up. It's much prettier, uh, much brighter, more vibrant colors. More animals. More animals. And Which just, is cute. just in general, all the cards fit the same vibe. So I think that that is a pro there, but that is one of the big differences. Um, also, in terms of resources, so both of these games, as I said, have an economy. Uh, they both focus on being very resource intensive. You have all kinds of different resources to work with. Terraforming Mars has resources of multiple different kinds, but what it is is every type of resource, whether that be the money, uh, steel, titanium, plants, energy, or heat, all of those have an income track, and all of those have an actual, like, how much of that currency you have. In Ares Expedition, you have money, Heat and what's uh shoot I'm blanking uh what's the other physical one? You've got one more physical currency: money, heat, plants. plants. Yes, plants. Money, heat, and plants are your three physical Green. physical currencies. The rest of them, so like the steel, the titanium, the energy, the blue. Uh, the blue is your how many cards you draw on an in, on an income phase. Uh. Those things are no longer tracked by physical cubes having actually having them. They are now just considered the number that's on the track here is how much of that you're considered to have, and it's not going to go down, which is a very different method. It's it's less fidgety, but at the same time, coming from Terraforming Mars, it makes Ares Expedition uh, a little bit confusing at first, but it cleans up pretty quickly. So there's less things on the board to knock around, kind of. There's just a little bit less in terms of uh, swapping cubes in and out. Both of them, their central boards are slightly different. Ares Expedition is very small, which is actually kind of welcome. Uh, but that is where Terraforming Mars uh, breaks it up a bit because its board is very big because uh, in Ares Expedition, the only thing you're placing are oceans. In Terraforming Mars, you're placing oceans. You can place cities. You can place forests. You have the nuclear blast zone or whatever, or the nuclear plant. You have all these special areas to place. Where you place it gives you a bonus. Uh, there's all kinds of different things. You've got, if your you know, city tile is got a forest tile next to it at the end of the game, you're going to get extra points for that. So there's a lot more going on. It actually has a tiny bit of like an area control thing tied in, where Ares Expedition gets rid of that completely. Uh, something else that Terraforming Mars has that I actually really liked was the milestone and awards. Milestones and awards. Milestones, first one to get, I think it was like 15 cards in your hand. You can claim that milestone by paying a little money, and that's five points toward the end of the game. That's pretty neat. And then awards are, you can basically say, I'm going to make sure this award is given at the end of the game. 
and whoever gets first gets a certain amount of points, second gets so many amount of points, and so on. And I really like that because it can give you an idea. You're saying, I'm going to go for this award. I'm, I'm already doing better than everyone else. I'm going to buy it, make sure it scores because I will benefit the most. I found those to be interesting. And I did like them. Where Ares Expedition doesn't do that at all. Uh, the last thing differences is playtime. Uh, Terraforming Mars says an hour and a half to two hours. I think it took us two and a half. Ares Expedition says an hour. And I think it took us an hour and a half. Not including setup, teardown, teach, all that. So that's a pretty big. I hope that all made sense. That's a pretty big uh, similarities and differences in the games. Um, we'll get to the biggest difference in the game now, I think, where we can actually talk about the experience while playing. So let's talk about Terraforming Mars first. Terraforming Mars felt much larger. It felt more thinky. I was focusing more on my resource cubes, focusing on my hand. What actions do I have? Where am I going to place on the board? There was a lot more head down time. Yes, and I feel like there was a lot more options, too. Yes. Because, like, you can play, you can place things down, you can play cards, you can move tracks up. Like, there's so much more going on in it. There's a lot. There's definitely a lot going on. And there's a lot more little pieces to play with between turns. <laughs> I mean, that's true, too. Uh, the original Terraforming Mars does have where it's a round. Everybody uh, takes their turn in the round, and it just goes around until everyone passes. Something I like in that is that in Terraforming Mars, you get to either take one or two actions or you can pass. I loved the inclusion of one or two actions because some turns, it's you go, you take an action, your next person goes, they take an action, next person goes, they take an action. Sometimes you're trying to chain something together. I want to do this to then turn around and do this. And you can't in normal one turn, one turn, one turn. But in this one, it comes to your turn and you get one or two actions. So if you can afford to do two things, you can do it. You can play that card that gives you this other kind of resource that also does this, then play your second card that allows you to put something on the board that combos with this, and you have that satisfaction of little combos, little bonuses, playing something that directly works off something else to play one more card that goes bing, bang, boom, and you've moved your terraforming rating three spaces up the board You because you've upped the temperature, which gave you a thing to put down an ocean, which gave you a nut. Like, you can kind of have little chain turns that way. And I really liked that about it. If it was just one action per turn, I don't think I would enjoy that as much. And I feel like the base game is really one where you can plan multiple turns in advance. Definitely. Like you can definitely, it's not unreasonable to think, to have at least a general idea of what your next three, maybe even four turns will be. Like, this is my ultimate goal. I'm going to play these cards in these order. I mean, granted, based on what I draw or, you know, what my, my opponent does, but you kind of have a general idea of what you're going to do. Like, if you if you like games where you, have to plan a little more in advance. Definitely. It's one that does reward planning as well. Because if you can plan things out and do that, I think it's much better. Um, once everyone's done with their turns in a round, have no more money, or they pass, the round ends, everyone takes their income, goes to the next round, draw up cards, decide what to keep, you pay for what you keep kind of thing. And then you move on through another round with some fresh cards and continue going through the game. Uh, Ares Expedition, on the other hand, takes a completely different approach to the actual turn structure. If you've ever played Race for the Galaxy, Roll for the Galaxy, I'm blanking on other games that do this. Puerto Rico. Uh, Puerto Rico, Rising Sun in a way. Uh, it's any game that allows you to choose what you're doing. So it's the kind where you have, a hand, uh, you have your hand of cards to play with, right? Well, you have another hand that are the fa uh, five phases of the game. On your turn, you pick one of the phases. Everyone picks their phase. Once they're picked, everyone reveals. 
then the phases resolve in the order one through five. If you picked uh, the phase, you get a bonus, but everyone will do every phase that's active. So if me and Haley were playing, for example, and she picks, I think it's the first phase that allows you to buy green cards, and I picked the fifth phase, which is income, on the first phase happens, which is buying green cards. Haley gets a bonus of a discount on the card she buys, but we both are able to buy green cards. Then we skip every other phase, go straight to the phase I chose as the only other player. I get the bonus of four extra money since I chose income, but we both then get to take income based on like our board states. Um, That is a style of game I've always enjoyed, but it was something very different to bring in to the Terraforming Mars world. But I think Ares Expedition did it well because the game felt like the turns were so fast. And I feel like with the with the Ares edition that you have less of a chance to plan uh you know three or four turns in advance because not only are you trying to figure out okay what am I going to play but you're trying to speculate what is your opponent going to play because whatever your opponent lays down is what the turn is like you get an opportunity to do that too you get an opportunity to play that card and so in in thinking about you know what am I going to do this next turn it's kind of a little more open-ended because I, with the original game, like you can technically plan, okay, I have my next three turns planned, whatever they do, maybe maybe he might play a red card that screws up some of my play, but for the most part, I can plan out my turns. There's not really going to be a lot of player interaction, but with this one, you're having to bank on, you, you only get to plan half your turn, basically. Yeah, essentially, you can only truly plan for, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a red or blue card from my hand, which I think was phase number two. And that's all I'm focused on. If something else happens, cool. If it doesn't, I know I'm doing this. And it really did. Like, that was a, a, a very different thing for that game, was that you can't super plan in the head. You can't have ideas of, I want to play this green card, and then I want to try to play this blue card, and then I need to try to do this and this. And you can have that idea, but being that things happen out of order, you have to either force those things by choosing that phase, or have to hope your opponent chooses that phase after you take income if you're broke. <laughs> You know, and I agree with Delton, like, it felt like the turns were really quick, but sometimes it felt like, you ever, you ever, like, walked with a toddler who's just learning how to walk, and, like, they're so determined to walk, and you have places to be, but by God, you, you will not carry them, they're going to walk themselves, and you know how they have the littlest feet steps in the world, yep. and you're trying to get somewhere, but you're being held back by the toddler who's holding on to your pinky, you know yep. that feeling? Yep. That's how it felt sometimes in this game, too. Because you just it was so hard to move forward at times. It was so hard to move forward at times because if you're if you're wanting to, you know, plant trees, sometimes you're going to have to wait two or three turns to be able to plant that tree, to be able to get that card back into your hand to plant a tree or or play a cow or whatever. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think that brings in um I think that brings in something that both of these games do, which is both of these games will be faster total playtime with more players. Because those global things that need to happen, temperature being maxed, oxygen being maxed, all the oceans out, if there's just two players doing that back and forth, you know, in one round, we could move, you know, each move it maybe twice max. But if you had four players at the table and everyone moves it twice around and that happens several rounds, like I, I feel like I feel like and I know the game will be faster. So I think that's part of something with Ares Expedition, because in Terraforming Mars, you get to do everything on your turn, every turn, income at the end of every round, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. But in Ares Expedition, if you had four people at the table, that's potential of four phases happening, which means more is happening every single round. So you can skip taking those baby steps, you know, take full steps. You can pick the toddler up or the, you know how you kind of do the jumping thing 
mm-hmm. where you, so you can walk faster and they're having fun. I feel like that's how you do it is more players for Ares Expedition. I agree. And I, I can see that. I would like to play with more people. No, yeah. I, I really enjoyed both of them, though. I did, too. I really did. They both provide different experiences. Terraforming Mars feels like the thinky Euro game where, you know, the theme is kind of just there. It's not super integrated into what you're doing. If you embrace it a bit, have fun with the, you know, hokey artwork and not always the best graphic design, uh, you kind of have to figure out, is this moving my resource, giving resources, or is this moving my resource track so when I gain income, I get more then? You have to figure that out. Because I got that confused for probably the first six rounds of the game. I kept trying to move the oxygen while I was supposed to be moving the trees or something. Oh, yeah. You kept mixing up oxygen and the temperature gauge over and over. constantly. But it's one of those things where you get used to it. You figure it all out. Um, But in Terraforming Mars, there is more symbology. Yeah, yeah, that would be right. Symbology. Symbolism. Well, it's not symbolism. These actually is symbols, right? Symboliloquy. Because symbology is like the study of symbols where symbolism is something being, you know what? The this icons. Is, yeah, you have to learn the icons. <laughs> hold, hold on. This is one of those teaching moments for myself where I think the world needs to be aware of the differences here of symbology and symbolism because I get it wrong all the time and it always makes me think of Boondock Saints. Symbolism. The symbolism with uh, Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. I watched that a lot as a kid. Uh, Symbology is a label, the study or use of symbols, while symbolism is the representation of a concept through symbols or underlying meanings. So symbology, the use of symbols, that's kind of more along the lines of what I'm looking at rather than symbolism, which would be the meaning of the symbols. Or now I'm making myself think it's symbolism. Anyway, icons. (laughs) Back to icons. Once you learn the icons, what everything does, what all the symbols mean and do, then the game's not a problem. That's for both. But they are. Terraforming Mars has a lot of things to learn up front. It's a bigger game to set up. It takes longer, but there's also more to do. You get more rewarding single turns, and you have more things to think about to keep your mind going. Ares Expedition shortens that experience a little. It provides cleaner cards, faster turns, better-looking cards. Uh, The artwork makes it feel a little more cohesive. The whole game feels like it all has one look, which I think is good. But it does go by, it goes by a little bit quicker. Your turns don't feel, uh, your turns don't feel as impactful. You can have a dud turn, but I guess also the thing with that is if you have a dud turn or two in a game, they're very quick versus Terraforming Mars, where I don't think I ever had really a dud turn. And if I did, it did feel bad because then I'm letting everybody, letting you go several times in a row because I had to pass for the round. So that's also another difference there, but they are, they're, they're, a similar experience of the total gaming experience of adding these things to Mars, using cards to do stuff, but they approach it so differently in, in the way that they function at like a base game level. So it's, it's very interesting because this is one of those classic Euro versus a little more streamlined, and it depends on what you want out of the game. Maybe you want both. Maybe you want one. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. Can there only be one? Beer uh, left, that is. Uh, yeah, there's only one beer left. <laughs> so let's dive into this beer before we go into the topic, which is uh, the topic I'm going to go ahead and say is 
uh, I put a question mark on it, but it's about uh, basically different versions, games with different versions. I imagine reading that, you know, because the topic is game uh, keeping different versions, but being that has a question mark, I imagine the Ron Burgundy scene. Keeping different versions? Yeah, keeping different versions? What scared me? I thought my beer was fixing to go everywhere. Gonna have to have another uh, one moment, please, moment. Technical difficulties? Technical difficulties. Oh, my rug. I wish you guys could see and appreciate just how cute Margie looks right now. She's laying on, I have a blanket back here for her to lay on because her bed's in Haley's office. And uh, so she lays on this blanket and she's got her little head tucked under where it's like her forehead's like almost on the, on the blanket and she's just laying there sleeping, breathing heavy. She's a perfect little angle. So the second beer for this episode is from Cockendorfer out of Duncan, Oklahoma. Uh, we had Cockendorfer on a few episodes ago. I don't see where it is. It might either be episode 12 or episode 11, but this is their special release Ruby Porter. It is a 5.5% alcohol by volume at 26 IBU. It says brewed a little lighter in color and body than a traditional porter, but still maintains that depth of chocolatey flavor. It's got a nice, like, it's got a nice dark color. And when you hold it up to the light, uh, you do get a little bit of like an amber or red tinge to it versus a traditional porter is normally a little more on the black side. It smells nice. It's got a nice warm smell, not too hop heavy. Okay, I just, I was trying to figure out what it reminded me of color wise. It looks like a Dr. Pepper. You know how Dr. Pepper's like it, that cherry it brown? Does. It looks like Dr. Pepper. It's nice and full bodied. Oh, man. It doesn't have anything to kick. It doesn't have like a, like a big hop punch to it. I feel like if I have spent all day working on the docks, this is what I want to come home to, is this porter. The aftertaste does have that little bit of chocolatey to it. A little bit of, uh, not necessarily dry, but just a, just a tad hint of dry on the back end. It tastes filling, but not lingering. In a way. That's a really good, the mouth feels great. It's not overly carbonated, but it's not, over, you know, it's not stout thick because it's a porter. Mm. That's a really good porter. This, I think this is their best we've had. We've only had three beers from them, but I think this one beats, uh, what do we have? We had the Imperial Stout and, mm, they, it was the, Scroll down. it was the Mexican beer, wasn't it? The lager? Yeah, the Mexican style lager. I don't think so. I think that was Broke Brewery. Oh, I guess we've only had one by then. I guess we've only had the stout before. Okay, well, between the stout and this, I think this beats the stout. The stout was very good. Um, but this one, this Ruby Porter is solid. I'm glad we grabbed this. Mm, that's a really, really good Ruby Porter. She's got a little bit of chocolate in this, nice and full flavor, but it's not overly sweet. It's not overly hoppy. It's really well balanced. So that's super good. But yeah, so that is the Ruby Porter from Cockendorfer Brewing. Highly recommend. Clink, clink. Yeah, out of Duncan, Oklahoma. Okay, so back to the topic of this episode. We're talking about uh, keeping different versions, different versions of games, because it's very difficult, I find, in the board game world when someone says, hey, here's Terraforming Mars. This is a game about Terraforming Mars. And then they put out expansion after expansion after expansion and this and that and bonuses, and everyone buys all into it, and everybody loves it. And then out of nowhere, they say, hey, we're going to put out Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, a shorter, faster game that has the same feel and 99% of the same gameplay mechanics and mechanisms. Here we are. And you're like, well, shoot, do I need that? I have the base Terraforming Mars. Do I need Ares Expedition? And I feel like that happens constantly in the board game world. There's this game, then the card game version. This game, the dice version. This card game, and here's the board game version. Like, it's all over the place. Or there's this version, that version. There's Patchwork and Patchwork Christmas and Patchwork Halloween and Patchwork Valentine's and Patchwork Americana. Patchwork Doodle, Patchwork Express. At what point do you say, I don't need this, I have this? And what point do you say, 
I need both of these. I need all three of these. I need all six of these. At all points, you should say, I need all of them. End of episode. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to the Malthouse Games podcast. Is that what it is? Or is that just patchwork? <laughs> That's just patchwork. I, I do think it would be fun to have all the patchwork versions one of these days. It's completely pointless, aside from Halloween is the one I think everyone should buy, even if you have the base. But um, still. And so that's a good segue. Why would it be pointless for us to have all 67 million patchworks? Oh, there you go. Diving, diving in. So I think, I think it would be pointless to have all the different patchworks because they are, all except for Halloween, is an exact copy of the base patchwork with a different layer of paint. Except for like Express, both Express, it's the same game, but it's marketed as shorter. But the regular patchwork game, it's marketed as like 30 minutes, but it takes my sister and I like 15. Yeah, it takes so, me and you anywhere from 12 to 15. So like for me, like what's the point of Ex- Express? But yeah. granted, I haven't played it yet. True. But I really haven't been drawn to play it because I'm like, why would I want a shorter version of a game that takes 17 minutes to play? Right. And it's the same with Patchwork Doodle. Patchwork Doodle, we've played... Did we play Patrick Doodle or we played another Uva Rosenberg that is basically the same, right? We played another Uva Rosenberg uh, that's basically the same. Second Chance? Yes. I think it was called, where it was flip a thing and it was you, you, you draw it on your little board and fill it in Tetris style. Um, that's the thing with Patchwork is we can play the base game at a speed that we enjoy. We enjoy the game. It still looks good. It's just fine. You know, It's wearing normally, but that's fine. But it gets the job done. I bought Halloween Edition. Only for the fact that A, it was around Halloween, so it was good for the podcast, and B, it actually had implemented changes and tweaks within the numbers and values of the game to try to make it a more balanced experience, and I thought that was a reason to own that. It was essentially an updated version. Now, if they came out with a patchwork 2.0, and it was those updates implemented, and then from there on out, that's how patchwork was printed, then I would think, okay, if you have the base patchwork, Pick up a version you like of the 2.0 to get those changes and experience that more balanced gameplay. But aside from that, I don't need more. The only reason I want uh, Valentine's, Halloween, Americana, all that stuff is just because it's one of our favorite games, your favorite game, one of. Hell yeah. You know, like top three for you, I think. Um, But we play it all the time and it's something that I always want. And it's just be fun as a collector. I have collector's mentality all the time to have all, don't point to my Funko Pops and action figures. Uh, to point and be like, look at all these patchwork editions. Like, that would be fun for me. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. I do play it a lot. Like, my sister, whenever she comes up to play, usually we find a four to five hour murder documentary series. We put that on and we will literally play patchwork. Literally play patchwork for five hours straight. Definitely. And we've, I mean, I don't want to play it that much straight, but still. Now, there are also games that it's easier to argue for different versions. For example, uh, one that I can think of off the top of my head are when games have uh, not big changes, but when a game's shortened version truly is shortened. So Ticket to Ride, Ticket to Ride New York, right? If you want to play for 15 minutes, Ticket to Ride New York is great. It's, it's the same basic experience as Ticket to Ride on a small map, takes a short amount of time to play. It's a little tighter, probably a little more mean, I would expect. But you can do everything Ticket to Ride does in a much smaller, more compact version. Well, what about Ticket to Ride with the other maps? I'm not talking about like Ticket to Ride and Ticket to Ride American, like because that kind of changes. You know, American has oh, yeah. has the the travelers that can get you extra points. It's another thing to take it's, into It's kind of like Ticket to Ride Europe that adds in extra things. Yeah, but what like what about just like the different maps, like uh, Ticket to Ride uh, America versus Ticket to Ride. Uh, 
Netherlands or whatever it is. Yeah, they've got they've got Asia, they've got India, they've got Africa maps. And so what about just the different maps? What would you say there? I think that depends on how much you've played Ticket to Ride. If you're playing Ticket to Ride to where you're bored of a map of the United States and you just want to do something different, I think that's absolutely fine. But those are also being, you can pick those up as a standalone map, right? You're not buying a whole $50 Ticket to Ride or $60 Ticket to Ride. You're spending 20 25 maybe 30 I don't know how much they are, to buy a map to use instead. Um, so I think there is something to be said there about different changes like that, because I enjoy when we play a game and we play it a lot, it's nice to break it up. It's nice to change it. It's the same with Concordia. I haven't played Concordia enough to really change it, but they sell multiple maps. And one of which they say is way better for a two player game because it's smaller and tighter. And I would like to get that because we mostly play two player and I would like to play Concordia again, but the main map is just so open. It doesn't feel like uh, you're really competing unless you're actively trying to compete with your opponent, and then it feels like you're being mean. Then you're just being neighbors. Exactly. <clears throat> so that's something to consider as well. But it's hard because there also are games like Terraform of Mars and Ares Expedition that are the same game, but one shorter, but also changes the mechanisms you use to play, which makes it function kind of as a different game in the process. Yeah, because with both of these games, they have the same feel. You feel like you're playing a very similar game. But, like Delton said, you're playing like a, a shorter version. It's it's not only that it's shorter, though. It's shorter and it's it's a little bit different. It has the spirit of the game, but it is different. Like, sometimes I want to sit down and dedicate two and a half to three hours to play a game. Sometimes that sounds like a nightmare. And I just want to sit down and play maybe an hour and a half if I'm feeling froggy. But then I want to go do something else. And so I feel like both of these games... Are, are similar enough that, when I, for example, we sat down, played the long version, then the next day we played the, short, the shorter one, right? The next day? Yes. And so, like, you, you have an, an understanding for how the game plays. We really didn't take a lot of instruction, but I felt like I was still playing a different game. It was later that night. It was, it was later that evening is what it was. Because we had played it early in the day, had dinner, all that, and then you were like, I'm awake enough, I think we'll be okay. Because we were like, well, it says it's only an hour. Brian says it might take more than that, probably. And then we played it and we were like, oh, it's an hour and a half it's taken us to play this game. So that's what it was because we were tired at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing is that it can it can make it where I want this experience, but I don't want it to take as long. I don't want to have to think as hard about it. I don't want to set up so much stuff. I mean, that's a big part is I don't I don't want to have to set the game up and do this and that and dish out here because the first time setup for any game that's a big Euro game is generally, you know, takes a second. But Terraforming Mars has a pretty hefty setup for me, at least the first time it did, and it's going to be easier next time, but it's still uh, more than Ares Expedition, especially something Ares Expedition does really well is it has a quick start guide. It has a quick setup guide, a quick overview of the rules, and all of that on its own little, like, single, you know, four page, it's a single sheet folded in half kind of thing, rule book. And I think that's awesome because it's easier to sit down, pull that out, go set up, set up, set up, done. Let's play. You have a question. Here's the basis of how this rule works and go from there. So this is, this is a scenario where for us, I think it's worth keeping both because Terraforming Mars is a bigger, thinkier, little bit more going on kind of game that I think would be fun to play with some of the people we play with, where Ares Expedition is a little bit shorter, the same spirit but it has a functionality in the way that you play the phase you want to play and you only do the phases the different players put down. I think that's a fun way to do it, but what it does is it makes Ares Expedition more approachable for newer players. 
It makes it easier to teach to someone who's not used to longer games. It makes it kind of a branch between here, you know, we've been playing Patchwork, we've played Ticket to Ride, we've played, you know, Sagrada. Here's the next level kind of thing, right? This this pushes it a little bit. It's got more complexity. It's got more details. It's got more going on, but it's not quite to the heft of Terraforming Mars. So I think if you're if you're playing games with people that aren't as thrilled to be sitting at a table for two to three hours, then Ares Expedition, Ares Expedition is a great game to have around if you want that Terraforming Mars experience that you can introduce people to. Because if I set Terraforming Mars up on the table and said, you guys have never played a game for two and a half to three hours, sit down, we're going to do it. It might look overwhelming. Not that they couldn't do it, of course, but it's one of those things where not everyone wants that. So it could be kind of like a, a gateway to bigger games too. Like, hey, you've played the hour and a half version of this. Yeah. Let's play the two and a half hour version. Exactly. Obviously with that, you have to learn because the cards are designed differently in the way they present their information and the way the game works is different. But all in all, it's generally going to be the same feeling as you play. So next time we go out to Elk City, we'll probably, so Lake and Spy, we'll probably bring My Little Scythe. And then after we introduce her to that, we'll say, okay, now you've played My Little Scythe. Let's play the big kid version, Scythe. Yeah, sure. I don't want to do that with a five-year-old, please. Come on. <laughs> so I think for Terraforming Mars and Ares Expedition, uh, I think for me, they're both keeps. They both tickle a different itch. Um, they both scratch that itch in a different way. And they, I said tickle a different itch. It's weird. They, <laughs> they scratch the itch in a different way for gaming, and they present different opportunities and different styles of play. Um, something I didn't mention in the gameplay, and hopefully. Uh, Hopefully, you know, somebody hasn't listened to the game section, got to the topic, and then just noped out after that. Because uh, I do think Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, um, it has this interesting thing where basically, so in Terraforming Mars, there are icons to identify when something is giving you a resource versus giving you uh, the ability to up your track for that resource, your income track, which means during the income phase of, of a round, you will receive that income. In Ares Expedition, your little board that tracks your resources, basically any time a card is giving you something, it doesn't differentiate by saying, this is for the track and this is for the resource itself. You have to kind of figure that out by the way that it's placed. And so it can be kind of confusing. And I know that uh, Brian and his wife had some issues with a few things. And that was one of the rules is, is this my track or is this the resource itself? And I've got it figured out now. Uh, basically you have to focus on the phase that the card lists when this phase happens like in this phase this which means effectively all your income tracks in Ares Expedition it's just a notepad for what your cards are giving you you don't need it to track how much income when the income phase happens you can say okay how much money this card gives me this this card gives me this this card gives me this and my TR rating is this that's my income but the little player board puts that all in one place so you're not having to look through your cards every single turn. Once I kind of clicked with that, it made more sense and it started to be easier to understand for me. So keep that in mind. It's a little funky. And then Terraforming Mars takes a second with the symbols. But I think they are. I think they're both worth keeping. And I think if you like a game enough that you think another version would change it up for you because you play it all the time, absolutely go for it. It's all going to depend on each person's different, uh, each person's different play style how they play, who they play with, what they want, and if you're just trying to be, you know, a collector in some cases. 
Yeah, and also don't be afraid to check out your friendly local game store to see if you could play them before you buy them, too. Because, like, uh, Edwin yeah. Unplugged has a big board game library. And so if you're torn between games or if you want to try them out first, you know, you don't you don't have to buy both games and then decide yeah. which one to sell. You don't have to choose one or the other. Go, go try them both out. Exactly. On, on both of these, I highly recommend uh, Watch It Played. Rodney Smith does a Watch It Played. Uh, on each, I watched both of those, and that helped dramatically for me to understand the games better. See, Delton lucked out because he has a friend who is selling a game and he has a nice wife, so he got both. That's very true. I also came into this with a deal on one and then a present on the other, so that made it a lot easier for me. But if you're looking for one of these, that's the biggest question. If you're saying, I've never played Terraforming Mars, I want to try one. First, your budget. If your budget says Ares Expedition, you're not missing much. If your budget says Terraforming Mars and you want the ability in the future to expand to their bajillions of expansions, go for the original game if you think that you'll enjoy a bigger, little bit heftier, little bit thinkier, but longer experience. So I think that's the big thing is if your budget allows and you have to choose between the two, pick which one sounds the best for you. But if your budget says that it's more friendly for Ares Expedition, I think it's 100% worth it and can in some circles, can replace Terraforming Mars. Yeah, because it, it definitely does feel like the larger version of the game. Like, yeah. you get the same feel, you get the same, really the same experience. But, you know, it is, I think, more friendly for those who are newer into gaming or for those who don't really want to dedicate a whole afternoon to, to setting up and playing a game. Because there's a lot more to consider when it comes to playing than just playing. And now, join us. For a Malt House Games podcast special, my size question. So the question for today, Haley, would you like to introduce it? I would. So the question for today is, if you have to tell someone how long it takes to play a game, do you or do you not include setup time? See, for me, it always depends on the game. If I'm at, if I'm in Target, and someone's looking at games on the shelves. And they pick up, uh, you know, they pick up the crew and they say, oh, this says, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever. Is it, does this take 15, 20 minutes? Yeah, absolutely. The game's not hard to set up. It's not hard to, to do. It's not hard to teach, really. Uh, you know, it's a little clunky if you don't know trick-taking games. I'm still always confused about them. But it's something to, that's pretty easy. But if someone picked up Terraforming Mars and said, this is going to take me about two hours? I'm going to say, nope, you're probably looking at three. Because setup teach, not including learning time, and then tear down, you're looking at more than that because it did take a while to set up the first time. It took me probably 30 minutes to teach it to what felt like a thorough, nice teaching. And then after the game, I had to then put all the cards away and make sure this was here. And, you know, it just, it, all that adds on. So for you, you would include the setup time and the time it takes to play the game. I guess the question is, can I tell the person? With setup, it's this. With teach, it's this. Or if it's just simple. I'm going to give you an ethical dilemma. Go for it. All right. You have a friend. Your friend says, I only want to play for two hours, two hours max. That's all I want to give. Like, I'm semi-new to board gaming. I really don't want to play that much, but I know that you want to play. But you have a game that you know the playtime is two hours, but the setup is 45 minutes. Ethical dilemma. How do you present <laughs> the game to them? Uh, I, I would, you not. know, that they're really going to like it. If they gave it a shot, you just Here, know, here's the thing. If they say yeah. I have, when I, I'm going to sit at the table at one o'clock and I have to get up at three, I have a two hour window. No, 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 no. Okay. That's just personal preference. Oh, that's just personal preference. Okay. 
Um, Ethical dilemma. It's really, the, if I think they're going to like it, yes. I would say, we're going to play this one. It might be more than that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard not to because that's, that, that is a big factor when it comes to big games. Why'd you do that for me? Nah. <laughs> because when I'm like, hey, we're going to play this game. It should, no, should only be, we, we'll be able to finish in like an hour and a half. You'd be like, all right, cool. You should know at that <laughs> it's point. It's take three to four. And also I do that to you because we're at home. I know you've got nothing going on at that moment when I ask you to play a game. I've got to watercolor some chickens, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can do that later after the game when your brain's dead. So it's fine. I, and so for you, in, end of the day, for you, you will be upfront and honest that this is not going to be two hours. This is going to be a two hour and 45 minute dedication if you consider setup. Yeah. Except if it's your wife because yeah. she's legally stuck with you forever. Yes. Okay. I mean, it's legit when Brian's like, how long does this game play? play? You know, how long does it take to play? And I'm like, ah, set up and teach. We're looking at this. And I present it that way because it's like, we want to play these games, but if we only have a limited number, amount of time, we're going to try to fit in a lot. You know what I mean? So that's just how it is. But that's it for me. Haley, what about you now that I've ranted forever? I don't teach games. That's a good point. <laughs> With that being said, I think we're good to move on to the closing here. Uh, I'm going to give a big shout out. Thank you to our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much, Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you all for supporting us on Patreon. There's a lot of other awesome supporters on Patreon that just don't get shouted out on the podcast, but they are appreciated just as much. If you want to be like them, you can go to patreon.com slash Malthouse Games. M-A-L-T-A, uh, sorry, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. I went to go through it way too fast and it caught me <laughs> off guard. My, my, my rhythm was gone. So that is where you can go for that. You can always find us on all social media at Malthouse Games. You can find me at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. And? Oh, and I guess we haven't had a chance to uh, announce this yet. Haley now has a new website and a new social media page you should absolutely go follow, which is Onboard Therapy, B-O-A-R-D. Yes. So this is a resource for all therapists, mental health clinicians out there where we talk about how to incorporate games in the therapy in an evidence-based way. So no, we are not going to be playing Connect Four for six sessions straight to build rapport. We are going to be using board games, tabletop games, and other role-playing games to facilitate evidence-based counseling interventions. So I plan on putting out at least one new post a month, whether it's a video, article, other tutorial of that sort. I have three up right now. So if that interests you, follow that for more information for your clinical application. So make sure to go and follow Onboard Therapy on Twitter. Do you just have a Twitter? I have a Twitter, I have an Instagram, I have a YouTube, I have a TikTok. Have I posted on all those? Not yet, but I have posted on Twitter. Okay, so Twitter, and then make sure to go to onboardtherapy.com to check out Haley's website. Because that's super exciting. She's going to be doing that kind of stuff, and uh, you know, we will make sure to make announcements when it, if, uh, anything that she puts up, new posts, things like that. If you have a question for us to answer on the episode, a topic you want us to cover, or a game that you have played or have heard about and you think that we should talk about it on the show... Send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. Aside from that, I think that that's everything, right? Am I missing anything? I don't think so. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out whenever you're editing tomorrow. <laughs> we will figure it out in editing. So, yes, yeah, so thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 113. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.